Well, welcome back to Talking With Tech. My name is Lucas Stuber, joined today by Rachel Madel, who I hear is a fan of the same sports team as our guest, right? Sports? Yeah, that's right. So yes, the Eagles won the Super Bowl. It's It's been like two weeks, but I'm still on cloud nine. And Jane Odom, who we're interviewing today, she is a huge Eagles fan. So we're just, we're, we're celebrating. That's great. Whereas I uh, watched figure skating quite a bit uh, for the last <laughs> week. But so, so what else about Jane Odom? I mean, this is a, a really amazing, influential person in our field. She, uh, you know, she's the head of the uh, PRC's Language Lab, which is an awesome online resource. You know, people are always asking us for online resources. So this was um, a good opportunity to talk with her. Uh, I don't want to give away too much, but what, what, what did you like, Rachel? You know what? I just feel like Jane has so much practical knowledge and this interview she got super specific she was like you could focus on these words you could do this activity and i just love that because that's what it's really it's really hard as a practitioner to kind of think through these things and with someone like jane with with such amazing experience it's really great that she kind of gave us insight into what she does right right well, it's it's tough, right? I mean, because we, uh, you know, especially like a like a school SLP or I mean any SLP, but um, you know, thinking of you folks in the schools, there's so much on your plate every single day, and to be sitting there worrying about lesson planning, and everything else, and maybe you have groups, you've got kids with you know a whole different host of needs, you know, to to have resources at your disposal that are evidence based, practical solutions are it's just critical. Um, and we're I think we're really lucky, especially in AAC, that we have a variety of folks doing it from from Language Lab to uh, practical AAC, either at no cost or low cost, as opposed to you know having to always do the teachers pay teachers model or whatever that looks like. Um, although there's good stuff on teachers pay teachers too. So that there sure is. <laughs> I think Rachel might even have some. Who knew? <laughs> um, well, without talking too much more, let's just dive into it. So uh, I hope you join us in welcoming uh, Jane Odom. Well, this episode of Talking With Tech is brought to you by Audible.com. I'm a big fan myself. Anybody who does as much driving, I think, as a lot of speech pathologists do enjoy it. Um, so the deal that we have is it's 30 days free with one free book of your choice. And when I only have one free thing, I always try to get the most bang for my buck. So what I recommend this month is The Story of Human Language uh, from The Great Courses with John McWhorter. It's a really fantastic uh, series. It's 18 hours and 15 minutes long. So you're really getting your, your money's worth uh, by doing that, your money being $0.00 and zero cents. Um, for anybody who's interested in something more reasonably length, I also recommend uh, The Professor and the Madman, uh, which is a really great story about the creation of the uh, Oxford English Dictionary. So again, audible.com, uh, the way to get a deal is if you go to audibletrial.com slash TWT, TWT, of course, for talking with tech, then you'll get 30 days free uh, with no obligation as well as a free book to go along with that. So check it out, audibletrial.com slash TWT. Well, welcome back once again to Talking with Tech. This is Lucas Stuber, joined as always by Rachel Madel. How are you? Great. And today also by Jane Odom of PRC. How are you? Hey, doing well, thank you. Well, thanks so much for joining us. We're, uh, we're thrilled to have this conversation. I know that um, a lot of, uh, of, of what you do and what PRC does uh, around the Language Lab is, is really uh, oriented in the same way as what we're passionate about. So I think this will be a great conversation. Uh, but if you could first just tell us a little bit about uh, yourself and how you got here. Sure. So I grew up in Philadelphia and um, also lived in South Carolina, now live out in Arizona. So for all of you in winter, I'm so sorry, but Nana. <laughs> it's 73 degrees and sunny, so we're good. But um, I, I went to Temple University and I studied um, education. So I was a dual major of elementary and special ed. 
And as I was thinking about what to do next, I get a call from my advisor who said, hey, are you, we started this new program for master's students in assistive technology. And I said, I don't even know what that was because yeah, it was 1987. And he said, okay, it's a whole thing on assistive technology. This is up and coming and we're offering free grad school credits. I'm like, sign me up. <laughs> free, that's great. Free? Okay. Yeah, so I'm I in. no idea what I was doing, but. So you went in and you did some basic classes, and then we did a program called ACES, and ACES stands for Augmentative Communication and Empowerment Seminar. So it's a two-week seminar in the summer that, where you learn as a professional side-by-side with an actual device user. So these were adults. Wow. That were oh, cool. Wow. So we did a whole thing on communication, and then we did empowerment where we did Dare to Dream. So Diane, Dr. Diane Bryan had started this whole thing, and she's actually took, taken this program worldwide. So we went to this two-week seminar, and they paired me up with a, with a gentleman who used an Allcom device. But at the mm-hmm. time, he only had a spellboard, and his name was Bob Williams. And so Bob would have to point to all the letters. And so you had to be totally engaged with him in order to be able to talk with him because, you know, he was spelling everything. And, of course, he would spell quicker than my brain could process. He was <laughs> totally irritated with me because, <laughs> like, okay, what was that word again? <laughs> exactly, yeah. But Bob was 26 years old at the Toyd CP. And um, his caseworker wanted to put him in a nursing home. Now, here's a single guy wow. in his 20s. I mean, what guy wants to live in a geriatric nursing home? And yeah. but nobody would listen to him because he used a spellboard. So we got him a device called a Liberator. Mm-hmm. And once, so he came to ACES to learn to use it. But he also came to do some person-centered planning where we would follow him for a year and his goal was to live independently. And so as soon as he got the device with a voice output, he started telling his caseworker exactly what he thought of them. <laughs> and their <laughs> idea. Love it. was so brilliant and so smart. So he went on to um, help the ADA get passed. So he would lobby Congress with his device. He wrote wow. poetry. He um, spoke at conferences. And he went on to live independently in Washington, D.C., um, he got a job for President Clinton, and he was the Commissioner for Devel- Developmental Disabilities for eight years. So here was wow. a guy that took away in a nursing home that became so instrumental in getting the ADA passed and, you know, helping everybody with disabilities, especially communication disabilities, get to where we are now. So it was, amazing. it was life-changing. And the two things I took away from that program was that somebody needs a really, everybody needs a really robust way to communicate. They need a language system that is going to be there for them and grow with them because everybody at ACES, the intention was we're going to get these people talking. There was no like, oh, I wonder if they can do it. It was none of that. The expectations were there that everybody was going to be successful. And guess what? The teachers thought I was smarter than I was. So I was. (laughs) <laughs> exactly. You, you know, you have that expectation that, you know, kids and adults and these users are capable and guess what? They rise to the challenge yeah. and they are because you believe that they could be. So I went through, I, I was, they asked me back as an instructor. So I went back and taught ACEs for nine years every summer. The other takeaway was so many of our clients wanted to learn to read. And a lot of them had been through um, schools before 94, 142, before that special ed law got passed. And so there was so many of them that didn't learn to read. And so literacy is my passion and language is my passion. And that's where it came from. It was all my years at Temple. 
And by the way, we are starting Aces West here in Phoenix. And we had a golf tournament and got some money together to do this. And we will be starting in March, but we hope to develop an entire curriculum for adult day programs and wow. transition classes in high school. And this will be written by myself, Caroline Musselwhite, and then um, Candace Steele, who is an SLP here in, in Phoenix that works at an adult day program. So That's we're going to have ACEs here, and then we're going to um, write the curriculum that can be used all over the world. And what does ACEs stand for, Jean? Augmentative Communication and Empowerment Seminar. Perfect. So, yeah. we, you know, we do, the, we do language and learning to use the device, but we also do, how do you use social media? How do you use texting? Love. How do you talk to somebody that has never spoken to somebody with a device before? Mm -hmm. How do you plan your life and get what you need? Who's going to be able to help you? you mm -hmm. know, what are your goals? And so we follow them for a whole entire year. That's and so cool. And I need, I need to learn at least three of those four things. I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's really cool is one of my kids that I worked with since I moved here in Arizona, um, she was in high school when I met her, is now a um, SLPA. She uses a device. And wow. She's and she's going to be one of our instructors. So we are like, we are living it you know we're not I just mean, saying that you should do it we're actually doing it so exactly there's nothing better than that full circle right mm -hmm. oh my gosh that's amazing I love that. and temple has been I mean I called them up and I was like hey we want to do this they gave us everything I mean talk about open source it's just brilliant. That's great. Have to reinvent the wheel. Yeah. Yes. I'm, I'm a temple owl, which you already know, Jane. Um, I can't say enough great things about <laughs> temple and how uh, well prepared I felt. Um, we were talking before we started recording about, um, you know, part of the problem is that people feel very overwhelmed by people. I mean, speech therapists feel overwhelmed by technology and AAC. And part of the problem is that there's not enough education in graduate exactly. school about these things. And I was lucky enough um, when I was at Temple, um, it was a required course, which it isn't, you know, and I know Lucas, you, you, it wasn't required necessarily for you. No, we, well, we had a, um, a course, and it was actually a fantastic course. And I, I really enjoyed the professor, Dr. Eric Sanders. So we actually just recorded with him as well. Um, but it was a, it was a com combination of literacy and AAC, right. Which was actually worked out pretty well. Um, but it's not so, you know, long enough, long enough ago now that nothing that we really, we, we talked about in that class still exists in a variety of ways, you know, except for PECs and, you know, um, obviously like the, the core concept, but does it, does it feel like to you guys that there's, there's more university education now in AAC or is it pretty much stable? I, I don't know. I mean, it's, I don't necessarily have a pulse on what's going on in, you know, graduate schools, but it, it still feels like there's a lot of, you know, speech therapists and clinicians who don't know even the basics. So it feels like, no, I don't think that there's well, and not only that there aren't enough programs for just speech pathologists in general. I exactly. Mean, so cutthroat to get into grad school. And then there's only so many programs and then, oh, you get AAC as an elective because there's so much other content. So it's, it's hard. Yeah, yep, absolutely. Right. And I, I feel like a lot of people end up leaving grad school with this, this scope that's very broad, but shallow. Mm -hmm. yes. sense. Whereas some other disciplines like, you know, like the ATP or even BCBA will be very narrow and deep in, right. in their knowledge, you know? And then mm -hmm. as you grow as a professional, I think it's easy to become narrow and deep. Like I, you know, it's within my scope of practice to do swallowing studies, but it, it wouldn't be ethical for me to do that. Um, <laughs> you know, so me embedded either. in it, what I do. <laughs> Um, 
but so that, that said, I mean, a lot of people turn to, you know, resources like very much like what you build, um, you know, to, to then get caught up about AAC or to learn practical strategies. And of course I'm thinking of the language lab specifically. Um, one of the things that I know you do, and I'd love to hear a little bit more about, because I love the idea of it is the, the journal club. Right. So Kara Bidstrup, who is our um, training specialist at PRC, has started the Journal Club. And it is, I think it's like $85 to join, but it lasts, I think, four or six weeks. But you review two journal, speak Jane, (laughs) two journal articles every month. And so you'll have guest speakers come on and they review the article and then everybody gets a chance to talk about it. So it kind of keeps you up and current on what's new in the journals and what the new research is. That's amazing. And I feel like as a practitioner, it often feels overwhelming and it's always on my to-do list mm-hmm. and I always put it off because <laughs> right. it's just, it's intense and I'm like, oh, I don't know, it feels scary. And so I feel like that is a really good way to... Yeah, you have somebody decipher the article for you and the research and then everybody yeah. to chat about it. So it's an open forum. And I think that discussion piece is the most important, right? To talk about, you know, because I think we we have all this research coming out and it's fantastic, but it's it's talking about the real world impl- implications to that research and how mm-hmm. does it affect my practice and how, right. you know, how can I use this in an effective way to start treating in a different way exactly. um, based on the research? Because we all know how, you know, important evidence-based research is an evidence-based practice, but that translation piece, I think that eventually it happens, but it takes a while for that to right. unfold. And I think an open forum discussion can help lend itself to that. And they get some really amazing speakers. So really? we have, you know, really good people that are seasoned that have been in this industry for a long time doing their interpretations. That's really cool. It's like yeah. AAC celebrities. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, it's like going to a conference each month, you know, and t- attending two sessions that are super cool. So. Yeah, that's awesome. And then what else, Jean? Explain just the, the premise behind the Language Lab and other things that you guys are doing over there. Okay, so I run the AAC Language Lab, and I have since it started. Um, We used to have this, I kind of call it like a filing cabinet where people could post materials that they made, but it was totally unorganized, and there was no structure to it whatsoever, and it wasn't really research-based, so we went in and did the research, and we looked at the stages of language development, because kids who are using AAC don't learn language differently. They just, it may just take a little bit longer. Right. So all of those things that you know about speaking to a toddler or an infant hold true when a kid gets a device. So you want to do a lot of modeling. You want to do, you know, a lot of really interesting, fun activities. And so the language lab is based on those language stages. Yeah. So it kind of gives you an order of, you know, like, so you don't know when to introduce past tense verbs. I don't know when to introduce, you know, plurals. So it kind of puts all that in perspective for you and gives you an order in which to do things. And then the lesson plans have just an abundance of really fun games and activities. I'm very, um, I don't want to say I'm immature, but I like to have fun and I like to have fun with kids. And I know that kids respond better when it's not drill and kill. And when Exactly. It's, oh, yeah. And so there's a lot of crazy stuff in there, like videos and crazy games and everything's done for you. And you can just pick or choose, like the lesson plans are huge. So, you know, you can say, all right, there's 12 activities in here. There's two of them that my kid will, my student will really like to do. So you can pick and choose what's going to be appropriate. That's, that's awesome. And I think you made such a great point. We, we tend to view kids who are using AAC as separate from typical 
you know, kids developing language and it's not at all, you know, that we just need to keep using our developmental norms and integrate it into the way that we're introducing language through the use of a device. Exactly. Exactly. And I don't don't know why, why that started, you know, why did it, why did we all of a sudden, just because it's a different, you know, modality of communication, we decided that, you know, it's, we threw all our pieces up in the air and we're like, who knows? (laughs) But it can be challenging. So when I first met Bob Williams, you know, he, he had really weird access and, you know, he was positioned terribly in his wheelchair. And so it was intimidating to me because I'd never been anybody so physically involved before. Mm -hmm. And, you know, once you do this for a while and you get to really know the kid, the students, you realize, oh my gosh, they have the same quirks that my kids do. Yeah. (laughs) Just as funny and love, you know, and they love all these different things. And yep. if you tap into that, it's really not a big deal. You know, yeah. you'll get more from these kids than you ever thought you would just by believing in them. Yep. Yeah. And I think another thing too, is that for some of the users that I work with, learning language is very challenging for them. Um, so it's even more important to follow those norms so that we're not, you know, trying to jump four steps ahead. Um, so that's really cool that you guys have all of that research. And one of the, one of the students, I, I um, help in an adaptive art class a couple times a month. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a, one little girl with Rett syndrome who is just, I, I've known her since she was five years old. She was actually the first kid in Arizona to get an eye gaze system when I gave <gasps> Yeah. Wow. Normally, you would just say, okay, we're going to put her on four locations, and they put the Holy Trinity on, which is eat, drink, and bathroom. You know, it's yep. just like, okay, what kid do you know wants to talk just only about eating, eating <laughs> bathroom? You know, like, no, we need to have fun things on there. So we went in, and her favorite thing, she was five, was Elmo, and we just put all these things for her to talk about with Elmo, and she came alive. Yeah. So she is now on eye gaze, 84 sequenced unity on an accent device. And she just blows our mind. Wow, like, a huge field for I guess. She too. says all kinds of funny things. So when my son comes to art class with me every once in a while, he's 19, she immediately says cuter. Not cute, cuter. She, that's her name for him. <laughs> she calls him cuter. And what was fascinating last, um, last art class, she says medicine, medicine, and then had a seizure. Oh, wow. wow. Immediately, like mom, we like got mom. She she has something sublingual that she takes under her tongue, but she let us know it was coming. And so we were able to rectify wow. it. Like, just go in there and help cool. her so quick. But she knew, and she wouldn't have been able to do that without a device. You know? Exactly. So yeah, yeah, you guys are nailing so many things that I'm like, you, like yeah, I, keep, I keep almost like tripping over myself because I love the conversation about developmental expectations. Like I really mm-hmm. think that we undervalue our students that, you know, by treating their the language development any differently what, than we would, um, you know, a different student, right? Um, but then I also love this conversation about meeting kids where they're at in terms of their interests and, and sort of yes. assuming that they have the same. So I, one of the, um, my very first supervisors back in uh, clinical practicum told me that if I want to be a good uh, clinician to a 10-year-old, then I need to think like a 10-year-old. Mm-hmm. And that's fortunately <laughs> been really easy for me in my life. <laughs> but I have a similar story about, um, this is a, it was a young lady with Rhett who was 17. Um, and uh, had she she had had an eye gaze device for maybe two years. But prior to that, it was just basically, okay, which of these two attend mm-hmm. to whatever. And it was absolutely, like you said, the just functional wants, needs sorts of the sort of things. And, um, and she had no interest in using it, really. But there was a um, an icon on there that actually said, like, please take off my AFOs or something like that, mm-hmm. right? And it was 
the way that she would sort of indicate that she wanted to get up and walk around a little bit. And um, she would never use it, even though you knew you could tell that she didn't that she wanted to. And so one day her mom changed it to my ass hurt. And um, <laughs> she, she used that all the time. So you got to think about what does a 17 year old girl want to say or, or, you know, and then, like how, you know, how how many like when, when you're, you know, a, a young girl with red or somebody with a complex communication disorder or maybe like an orthopedic disorder, too. Like what what options do you have for refusal? Right. You can't yeah. go slam the door and leave your room messy like mm-hmm. a typically developing kid. What you basically have is you, you can just not participate in whatever you're being asked to do. And then all of a sudden, as the school team, we're writing a behavior support plan and this stuff because that's perceived as this massive blowout when really it's just what any child would do in that situation. Yeah. And, so. and you have to be careful because, you know, we want these kids to be so successful. You know, that's going to make us feel like we're doing our job. But if we don't give them enough to communicate, we don't give them enough language then so there was a kid in in Georgia when I lived out there and I went to do an eval for a child and she had really bad access so we were trying to find switch locations for her and there was another little girl in the room that was kind of wandering around and she's hitting all the buttons on the devices I had and I said look at her she's so interested did she does she have a device and they said oh no we gave her a cheap talk again with the holy trinity and she threw it on the floor yeah so I looked at her and I was just like, but watch her. And she, she, had, she had gotten on the device to the spell page and the therapist kind of looks around. And she said, yeah, watch this. Say, hey, honey, spell your last name. And she went L-A-S-T-N-A-M-E. Oh. And it was wow. just like, she, you give them something that they can't use, they're going to they're gonna toss it. They're not going to, you know, like, it's like, okay, well, this is stupid. I have three things to say and I don't care about any of them. So exactly. We don't need the device. And I also feel like, you know, if we present kids with something that doesn't make sense to them, they're like, what's, what's the point of this? Mm-hmm. You know? And it's just, it's such an important point. And this that, kid was a reader and they had no idea. Yeah. God. That's really, that's sassy too. I like that's Latin name. I know. Well. It's witty. I like but it. You have to understand like, how are they speaking to her? Yeah. You know, so if you're baby talking, I've had so many of my kiddos, you know, somebody comes and baby talks them, they just turn off. They're like, yeah, I'm not talking to you, you know, because that's their only control in their life. So you really want to meet them where they are and make sure that you challenge them. Right. So, so here's a question then, and this is something that, you know, I've thought about in the past specifically with Unity, right, or with, with PRC devices is um, how do you balance that? Like, how do you balance making sure that you give enough vocabulary with not overwhelming a student with a, you know, 2884 field, you know. So PRC has been doing this for over 50 years. And um, we have built so many tools into the software to make that happen. So you can use Vocabulary Builder and hide and show vocabulary. We have these things called Vocabulary Builder sets that have, they're based on these activities that you're going to want to do with your kids anyway, blow bubbles or cars, or, you know, maybe if it's teenagers, it's listening to music or watching videos, whatever. But um, then it automatically hides everything on the device that you don't need, only showing the vocabulary that you're going to use. And so you can teach the kids that vocabulary and then eventually build on and add more words from there so we like I like to start kids off on the highest level and just hide a bunch of of buttons and slowly teach them that vocabulary but once they develop a motor plan for each one of those words in unity it never changes never never, you know you always have that motor pattern and if you think about you know motor patterns we use them all the time like god forbid I move I just got a new iPhone right Mm -hmm. and now all my icons for my apps are all over the place and I can't find anything (laughs) Yeah, right. Not the place that they're used to be. Or, you yeah. know, driving a stick shift or playing piano or typing. 
Yeah. Trying to, I, tr- I tried to type on a, on a French keyboard in Paris recently, and I, 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 I think I, I was paying by the minute for that computer, and I think I paid five times as long as I should have. Now, to what extent do you think the when you conceptualize motor planning, which obviously is a, is a huge piece of what we do in AAC, do you see that as something that also, um, I don't know how to put this, aids in acquisition of the vocabulary, or is it a purely like a rate enhancement? That's on the kid. Um, okay. So, you know, we have words for life on our, our the LAMP approach, which is sure. language acquisition through motor planning, and it works amazingly with kids on the spectrum because they aren't looking at the icons and they are using that motor pattern. And if you ever get to a lamp training and watch John Halloran talk about this, it's absolutely fascinating. Mm-hmm. And you, I, I had him come and work in one of our clinics here. It was a, a school, a charter school for kids with um, autism that was started by Temple Grandin. And, you know, it was for kids that the districts couldn't handle. So these were the kids that were spinning on the floor, banging their heads on the wall and whatever. Mm-hmm. And we started the LAMP approach with these kids and within months, <laughs> even the most severe kids, they, maybe they were only eight location, you know, maybe they only started with eight words, but right. they were sequencing like within 45 minutes of John working with them. And it was just fascinating. Yeah. But what breaks my heart is I run into some of these guys now that are now adults and I'll go into an adult day program and they don't even have their device with them. Oh, yeah. Like, right. it's just been abandoned, you know, because uh, it's hard to find support, especially for adults. Right. So. Speaking of that support piece, what's the one thing that you always, the, the, the most important thing that you try to impress upon support staff when you're training them? To never, to never dumb down a child, ever. You, yeah. you know, you, you expect that they're going to do it. Nine times out of ten, they, they do it. It's just... Mm-hmm. You know, if you can connect with them and find something really exciting, yeah, and you know, especially middle school. <laughs> I mean, the little guys are kind of easy. You know, they'll do what you tell them to do. When yeah, you're going to come and meet them where they are, and you have to do some really fun things to grab their attention and forget that they're doing therapy. Yep. I yes, exactly. And I think that, um, you know, I'm I'm finding so I, I work privately, but I work with a lot of schools and I'm finding um, it hard because sometimes the the school based SLPs are governed a lot by the data and they need to show progress and all these things. And, you know, obviously we all need to show progress, but I think that it 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 takes the communication piece out of it in a lot of ways and it just becomes more academic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the problem with that is that when kids kids aren't even going to show progress with that because they're not motivated by these academic tasks. They're not motivated by us telling them what to do. Um, you know, we have to take what they actually are motivated by and every kid is motivated by something. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's what I try to tell the staff that I'm training is that every single child is motivated by something. It's your job to figure out what it is and then figure out how you can get them to communicate, Mm -hmm. to talk about it. Exactly. Right. If if you want, you know, that old, Actually, if you uh, if you want what you're talking about in the therapy room to generalize to the playground, then you need to be talking about what they're going to talk about in the playground. You know exactly. exactly. You know, the first thing I do with the kid's device is I always put, I always find like the brother or sister or the peer and say, okay, what are the kids saying? You know, like yeah. For, for a teenager girl, like teenage girls, we always put whatever. <laughs> you put something fun that they're going to want to talk about and they're going to want to use with their friends. 
Yeah. We just interviewed Karen Owens from We Speak Pod. She's fantastic. But she talked about how she put on her son's device, that's lit. And like all day long, he's just like, that's lit. That's lit too. (laughs) We had a kiddo um, that we, we had a circle of friends for her. So we have peers that come in and meet every week for lunch. Yeah. The peers end up becoming better therapists than speech therapists ever are. Oh, yeah. The yep. kids were just awesome. So the one week we had each kid record something cool on Sydney's device. So it was whatever and peace out. And like they came up with all this crazy stuff. Sydney generalized it. And when they when he she saw and he's, this is a two switch step scanner. This kid is have to use you know switches. So access is a nightmare. But it was so motivating when she saw her friends in the hallway, she would use their recorded message to greet them. Uh, I love that. And she knew which one made each one. And wow. it, the kids were like, oh my gosh. And then all of a sudden, their thought process changed about her. They're like, oh my gosh, she's so smart. Right. And so yeah. now she wasn't the weird kid in the back of the room with all the equipment in the chair. She was, you know, one of them. Right. Yeah. Oh my gosh. No better way to have peer, peer acceptance than to start integrating, you know? And I think that that's such a great idea. I'm totally going to use that. And <laughs> I think that's the, that's the hardest thing is to try to, you know, get that social piece because yeah. it feels overwhelming and daunting and it feels in a lot of ways disconnected, but how can we connect? How can we connect yeah. those peers? And I think that having that integrated into their communication dice, there's like literally no better way. Right. And, and when we set these circles up, um, you know, we don't always pick the straight A, um, really quiet kids because we want the naughty ones. <laughs> we want the ones yeah. that are funny. And, exactly. And Hilarious. Who do you want in your group? And, you know, she was able to tell us exactly who she wanted because wow. she was in class with them. And, you know, yeah. That's I totally I, I agree. And I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up. I don't think we've talked about that on the podcast before, but. No. I think training peers as part of the the circle of support is, and well, and siblings too is another. Like we focus a lot on the parents, and mm-hmm. you've, you know, one thing that the peers are going to have that we sort of automatically don't is a naturalistic social environment, right? Mm-hmm. You know, as mm-hmm. much as I joke about pretending to be ten. And Lucas, guess how much that costs? <laughs> Zero. You don't have to pay them. <laughs> anything. It's it's such. And schools. We've had schools in the valley now that have implemented it for all the special ed classes. These principals cool. come in and said, "Oh my gosh, this works so well." No, and and this is a, a real. A, a lot of times, dear listeners, when we're on this podcast, we answer, we ask questions that'll guide us in a certain direction. But here, this is a just totally genuine question: Are there um are are do you have materials on the language lab for peers and siblings? You can do any of these games with anybody. You know, I mean, like one example of a game that we do, which totally irritates the teachers, but we love it, is (laughs) we'll have target vocabulary that we're working on. And so we write it on a whiteboard. And then, you know, so you can do this with the peers, you know, so they can generate what words and, you know, maybe using that word in a sentence or at least finding that word or, you know, however you want to use it. And then they get to take a wadded up wet paper towel and throw it at the board and erase the word when they get it. It is the stupid, simplest concept that is just so much fun. I mean, the kids love it. They get to throw things in the classroom. And I want to play that game. Right? So yeah. You the sidewalk chart, but, you know, so those kinds of games are on the lab. And so they're easily, um, you know, transferable to, to working with kids. Any yeah. other any other favorite games that you like to play? Because I feel like that that's what our listeners are, are dying okay. for. <laughs> so the one they loved in the UK, which was really fun, is called Monster Mouth. Although they don't have paper... Um, grocery bags in the UK. So I had to like bring my own. <laughs> that's, that's all they have in California. 
<laughs> so you take two grocery bags and you put them inside of each other and you cut a mouth out and then you put eyes on it. And the same concept, you're playing a game and we can do this for math. We can do it for science. We can do it for any language objective. And you have a little scratch piece of paper. And when the kid gets it right, they get to crumple it up and throw it in the mouth. It's just the stupidest concept and like a silly little game. And the kids, middle school, loved it. They, and they used it for all subject areas. And then when I came back the one day, the, the, the assistants had all gotten together in the classroom and put makeup on it. And so it had eyelashes and <laughs> lipstick. It was just two grocery bags. So games like that, are just something that's going to get them to so, oh my gosh, this is weird. And then they get their interest and... Yeah. yeah, that's that's such a great example. It's like sometimes we feel like, oh, we need to get all these books and programs and curriculums. And no, you just need a paper bag and you like some crazy. Bag. You need sidewalk talking, <laughs> you know. Yeah. yeah. That's the, really the, cool. The cardboard box that the toys come in is always the most fun part of the package, right? Think about it, right? <laughs> exactly. You know, and that's 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 so funny because I feel like I remember being a kid and those huge boxes and it's like we've become kind of far removed from that. But I think part of our profession is being a kid at heart and thinking like a kid like Lucas, thinking like a 10 year old, you know, well, we do a lot of writing, too. So there's a lot of writing templates on the lab because learning language and writing kind of go hand in hand. Yep. And writing allows the student to practice and they get that repetition of doing something over and over again so they can develop that motor pattern without being bored. So we do a lot writing with poetry. We do a lot like crazy stories. So don't say like, oh, we're going to talk about something boring. You're going to say, okay, let's talk about trash today. Or let's talk about, you know, something that scares yeah. you. Yeah, you know, something like that. And I've had kids that like were having total meltdowns in like circle time. So that's my pet peeve. I can't stand circle time. Exactly. So I think circle time is fine in elementary school, but I go into a high school and they're still doing it. It's like, okay, yeah, right. yeah this is the kids been doing it for 17 years. They're probably bored by now. Yeah. <laughs> to think like that. Right. So, um, I had one teacher that was just having so much problems with this little guy melting down during circle time. So we took him and we let him plug his device into the computer and he wrote in his journal every day during circle time instead of doing that. And he still was doing the same content. He had to put his date on there and maybe he had to write about the menu or you know, whatever the teacher needed. Behavior yeah. done. I mean, he was doing something that was meaningful. Yeah. As opposed to that, like, why do I have to do this over and over again? Exactly. Oh gosh, I'm having like circle time PTSD right now. <laughs> right. Um, I can like hear the songs. Well, we've also taken it and turned it into a news program where the kids record each other with like an iPod or oh, a, cool an iPod by a phone and, you, and they can make a news program. So they practice all week. So they're using their device, doing all the circle time too. content, but they're making, they're, they're a reporter, not some bored kids sitting in front of them. Right. So one thing that, that you touched on that I just realized we're, we're talking a lot about kids, but um, you know, coming from the private practice angle, right? Like I'll sometimes um, meet like a 23 year old or a 24 year old who's never had a device, right? And this is a new assessment and developmentally, they're sort of still being treated um, like that circle time child, right? You know, they're still being given the Barney and the Elmo and, and everything. That they yeah. do every day. Where, um, how can we do a better job of supporting these adults? So on the lab, we have um, young adult content. Okay. So there, there are going to be activities that are more geared for older folks. So the books have real photographs as opposed to cartoons. And I'll have them go listen to Imagine Dragons or the Beatles. I mean, some of that music has great core vocabulary in it. And, you, you know, you meet them where they are and you talk about things that are relevant to them. And, and again, that writing piece is, is phenomenal. Absolutely right. phenomenal. Right. But then, you know, introduce social media 
like, okay, let's talk, let's write a post on your Facebook. Let's send a text. Let's do Instagram, you know, whatever they're, whatever they're going to do. <laughs> or as my wife would tell me, how about you write less on your Facebook? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great though. I mean, we did, uh, you know, I, one of the talks I give often just doing ASU 101 stuff is, is, is just to point out that we're all users of, of augmentative communication. I mean, what is Facebook if not? It's the great equalizer because right. I can't tell if somebody has a disability when they send me a message. Mm-hmm. And right. it's yep. a Facebook message, right? I love so that. texting and social media for some of these kids that are a little bit, you know, okay, I don't want to look weird. You know, that's the great equalizer. Yeah. And now Definitely. that devices are looking more like tablets. Yep. It's a little right. bit easier. I know. That's, that's, that's my thought. ones. No, no kid wanted to ever be the, 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 the carrying the suitcase around, but uh, exactly. every kid wants to be the one that's allowed to play with the iPad in class. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah. It is interesting how I, that shift, right? It's like now the kid with the iPad is the, you know, the cool kid. Everybody's like, Oh, wow. I want like, he has an iPad. Cool. Um, so I'm really happy, you know, for our users to be able to feel that level of acceptance right, um, right. with their peers. But now you have to understand. Fund them and things too. Yeah. Now Sorry. they're funded. Yeah. But you have to understand the iPad is not the cure all. So when okay. that first came out, everybody wanted the iPad, but then next thing you know, the kids are throwing them or they get dropped. And sometimes you need the durable device. Mm-hmm. It's going to be yes. a little bit more rugged. <laughs> yes. So, you yeah. know, and that's another one of my pet peeves is that sometimes devices are recommended based on what the classroom already has. Oh yeah. Yes. And it really needs to be, or about what the parent wants and it needs to be more child focused. It needs to be, you know, client focused and we need to get them what's right for them, not what's right for everybody around them. Oh, that's so great. There's no one size fits all. Totally. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. And then sometimes, especially with the iPad situation, you'll find, and this is ubiquitous in California, so not to pick on you guys, but, um, you know, you'll find the school maybe has 100 iPads in the back already. And so they just say, oh, well, okay, we bought, you know, we bought 400 codes for Prolo two years ago. We still have some left, right? Let's just throw it on there, and that's what they're going to use. Yeah. Um, and I mean that in no way negatively about anything or anyone involved in that sense. No, but, but it, I mean, it's a reality. It's, it's yeah. a reality. Yeah. And it really need that needs to change and we need to find out what's going to work for those kids. And the other thing that makes everybody's life all easier is if they get the training. Mm-hmm. So I don't care if it's ProLoquo or a Dynavox or a Toby or a PRC device or an iPad app. Um, you know, you need to, when you're recommending that or you're, looking at different options, make sure that you have suitable training. So most of the major manufacturers are going to have like free trainings online. Um, ProLoquo has a ton of stuff online. But if you pull out some app that nobody's going to know how to use, it's not going to get used. I know. It's like those those abandoned devices for exactly. all your adult users. Exactly. It's, it's, it's really important. And it does feel like you're kind of stuck because as Lucas mentioned in California, that's a lot of what our school districts, it's like, you know, you're on PEX or GoTalk or ProLoquo, mm-hmm. you know, it's a three tiered system. And from the school perspective, I see how, you know, it's hard to manage, right? It's hard to manage all these, you know, students needs and the, the training the the paraprofessional training that's involved with these devices. So I, but it is important, right. To, focus on the child and figure out what makes sense for them. Um, kind of now that they're funded by insurance and, you know, Medicaid in most states. So it doesn't have to be a burden for the school. You just, you're going to have to write the report and get the evaluation done. But a lot of the manufacturers help you with that. Like PRC has something yeah. called the funding assistant. And if you're trying to recommend a Saltillo or a PRC device, you can go to the funding assistant. It'll walk you through the process. 
Now, I don't like when manufacturers want to write a vow for you. Yeah. That's unethical. Yes. Right. So you, you know, actually you're, in Oregon now, that's not allowed anymore. But right. You know. Right. And it, and it was for a while. And, you know, it was kind of like not spoken about. It was just like, hush, hush, let's do this. Like, they'll do it for me. I don't have to do it. I understand that, but it really needs to be from a professional. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well, first, I wanted, I did want to tell you about Realize. Realize Language is a, a site that you can go to, and we just dropped the price on it, so it's only $9.95. Both of the Language Lab and Realize were both $84.95, and then we dropped the price of the Language Lab to $19.95 a year for a subscription, and we also give a code away with each device. So every kid that gets a device, every, any person that gets a device will get a code, and also get a, a, two Realize codes. But Realize is you can turn the data logging on in a device, and it'll record everything, and then you pop it into Realize, and the devices actually do this automatically now if you have Wi-Fi. <laughs> and there are all these charts and graphs, and you can see exactly what that student is doing. And you can pull up grammatical markers so you can say, or let's see what prepositions they're using. And it compares it to the most frequently used prepositions. And so yeah. there's, you know, say 50 preps and, you know, your student is using 20 of them. Then you can see the 30 that they're not using. Oh, man. I wish I had that for the kids who aren't on devices. Because <laughs> that's like really... But you can see like minutes per day of usage. You can say the, see yeah. the top 10 words. You can make wordles, which the kids absolutely love. So we have these word wordle wars. <laughs> every, every month I'll take a wordle from their, their data that, that, that was in Realize. Mm -hmm. And we get to look at them and compare them. And middle school kids get very competitive. So they want to have the coolest wordle. That's, That's a really so, neat idea. I never thought of using them that way. So you can look at a Wordle and, you know, not only can you see what they're saying, but you can see what they're not saying. Yeah. So right. I was working with this one kid out of Pennsylvania and we, you know, the school district never had a kid with a device before. So they were brand new and we turned his data on and I went back a, a couple months later and we pulled it up and the teacher was crying. She's like, look, my name's on the Wordle and it's really big. And the <laughs> Oh. The therapist was all excited in the OT and I was like, that's great. But where are his friends? Yeah. And he was five. And they said, Oh, do you think we should put the names on there? What a great idea. <laughs> you should go for it. Love it. Well, you know, and it's really an objective way to show, right? Instead of just saying, oh, we should do this or use language for a variety of communication functions, it's like, hey, let's see what they're doing. Okay, there's some gaps here. So yeah. it's a little scary because, you know, you can see whether you're being effective or not. Yeah. So, you know, say you work on WH questions and then you can pull that data up, you know, a month later and you can put in those words and in to realize and it'll show you how often that the student said it. Right. If you only said it during speech time, you got a little bit more work to do, you know, and it's right. not something that you did it wrong. It's just like, right. okay, they didn't get that concept. Yeah. And, so you, and you can, you know, reteach as necessary. So it's, it's really powerful. You can also see like a lot of the, almost all the wordles I get in the beginning. I mean, all the data I get in the beginning, you know, you, you look at the time of usage during the day and oftentimes Saturday and Sundays are blank. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Okay. yeah. So mom didn't pull it out of the book bag, but if you take that to an IEP meeting and you know, not to be accusatory, but say, Hey, look, you know, Kevin's doing this and with just a little more work at home, you know, we can make him so much more effective, but we need you to help us. Yeah, I, I know. Yeah. Well, I was sorry. Those of you that are listening, if you haven't tried Realize Language, um, I'm like a super nerd with it because I love, <laughs> I love getting data. 
and and my background actually and Russell knows this well is my I had my previous master's was in corpus linguistics. Oh my god! <laughs> I know, right? So, um, but one thing that I love about realize is that I'm also getting that you know essentially a corpora of that student's language, um, you know, which gives me huge data in terms of planning, um, you know, but also data in terms of accountability, like you said, exactly. something that. You know, and this again, I don't mean this negative towards anyone, but there there have been families I've worked with that are the strongest advocates for their kids in terms of getting these devices to school and then Saturday, Sunday are blank, mm -hmm. you know, and yeah. it's like, come on, you know, and, or like you said, too, there's been times when I'm thinking like, oh, I'm making these incredible breakthroughs with this device. And then I, I see the vocab I'm targeting is bright red for that one hour a week and mm -hmm. then nothing the rest of the week. Yeah. You know? So yeah. one of the nicest things to see is to watch that sort of spread over time, you know. And then because within the system, you can look at that. You can look at diachronically, so you can... It, would, it, can, it can follow a child from basically the time they get their device, and, I mean, through multiple schools, multiple therapists, you can keep that account open and, you know, follow a device user forever. You can turn off the data. So, you know, a lot of my teenagers would be like, well, I got something to do this weekend. I don't want you to see. It's like, yeah, good. I don't want to know. Yeah. <laughs> right. I don't know that. But you can also, and you can also get a free 30-day um, trial. So if you want to try it out, turn the data on now. Yeah. <laughs> Take data for a while before you get your free um, your free account. Oh, I didn't know it worked that way. Wow, what a good tip. Yeah, so, there you go. <laughs> is Realize Language, is this only for PRC-supported devices? It is. Currently, it is pranky, uh, PRC, so all our Accent products, and then okay. Words for Life, as well as all the Saltillo products. Okay. So Saltillo is our sister company, and so we do a lot with them. Um, we have approached other manufacturers, so um, haven't had any interest yet, but if you are supporting a child on another device and you think this would be a really useful tool, talk to your rep and you know, make the request, and if enough people make requests, maybe they'll listen. So Yeah, no, I love that. Well, one thing I wanted to ask about, uh, you know, we talked about this a little bit before we started recording, and, and maybe this is a question to the group, but um, just from a pure application standpoint, what are some of the things that you teach people that maybe get the biggest like, oh, wow, moments uh, in terms of AAC or device? So, language is so much fun. It's so much, it, it's so simple to teach. Like sometimes I think we get stuck in this thing that it's going to have to be so difficult and too well planned out. And it's actually, I mean, it's just talking with somebody. Mm -hmm. And so, if, and the other thing that people get stuck in is like, well, Johnny's on this device and Susie's on that device. And, you know, Caroline's on this other one with a totally different language system and a lot of the, you know, a lot of the gains that I promote on the language lab can be easily scaffolded for any language objective, any learning obje objective that you have. So yeah. maybe we read a story about feelings, okay? And we're going to play Monster Mouth. So when we, when Kevin gets, you know, it's his turn, he needs to find single feeling words because that's the level he's at. He's just learning his device. So we, he's going to find one word. And Kimmy's on her device and she's had it for a little bit longer. So she's going to say something that makes her feel that way. And maybe just an expectation of a two word phrase, you know, yeah. feel sick, feel happy. All right. And maybe Steven is a, a little bit more advanced. And so maybe he's generating something independently. Yeah. You know, his, the expectation is he's going to have a sentence with a period at the end of it. And, you know, with more of a complex thought. So you can take that same thing. The kids are all playing the same game and you just scaffold the, what the requirements are for each kid. Yeah. And the other thing is, if you use the same games over and over again, then you don't have to teach the process. You're just yeah. teaching what you want to teach. They already know the rules to the game. And, you know, you, you can kind of figure out which ones they like for sure. And you just, you know, 
easily scaffold for whatever they're doing. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, too, because especially for our school-based SLPs, you know, they're seeing sometimes four or five kids in a group at one time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they become masters at figuring out how to use one game and target multiple different things. Um, But another thing we use is poetry. So poetry sounds, you know, so abstract. And like you think of Emily Dickinson and Robert Frost, but, you know, (laughs) poetry can be Shel Silverstein and he's written poems that were two words, you know, and it's it's an amazing poem. So we do a lot of um, kind of structured writing with the kids. So we may give them sentence starters and they fill in the blank. And poetry is nice because it is kind of like almost artistic. And so it's so free and open. You learn more about the kids from one of the poems what they write. So an example would be, I like, I like blank. I like blank. I like blank. I don't like blank. Very simple poem, right? Yeah. So, you know, I had one little guy, we were writing him for his, his dad. We were doing dad likes. And he said, you know, dad likes baseball. Dad likes Yankees. Dad, like, dad is fun. Dad is not Mets. <laughs> we <were> just, <laughs> really, yeah. But then we had another kiddo that used that same I like template. And the teacher called me up in tears. And she's just like, you're not going to believe what Genesis wrote. And she said, I like Kevin. I like Kim. I like Delfino. I don't like myself. Oh, jeez. And I said, no, this is perfect because this kid had all these behavior issues. Well, now we know why. And now we can work on building her self-esteem. We would have never known that if she hadn't been given an open way to express herself. Yep. We, you know, we didn't want to give her all the words and just have them put her in an order. We wanted to know how she felt. And activities like that can be amazing, <laughs> like absolutely amazing. And you find out what these kids are about. And then when that poem gets sent home, mom knows that it wasn't written by the staff. Yes. Don't you? It doesn't make sense to us. We, you know, it it doesn't make sense to mom. (laughs) I love, I love taking, I'll often take pictures of um, a device, like, you know, of something that a child said. And I love when it's kind of rife with grammatical marker or um, grammatical errors because it's like, okay, you know, I didn't make this. Like it it, it makes just enough sense so that you can translate it, but like, you know that an adult didn't write this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's great too because sometimes there is a, gen- a genuine question of authorship, right? With you yeah, know, the things that we see, or another reason why I like realized language, right? Because I can see what's actually being said during the week. Um, but going back to the poetry, said when you're not there, which is really important, so you can see if you're being effective. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, well, right. When I say accountability, I mean my own accountability too, mm-hmm. really. Um, but the, the poetry piece, that's something I've used a lot, and I've had people kind of scoff with it, which maybe you'd almost alluded to, like, uh, you know. Really, we're doing poetry. But actually, if you look at research around um, developmental milestones for typically developing children, knowledge of poetry and the rhyming words also are hugely important towards, uh, you know, eventual literacy. And that's what I want for any of my AAC kids ultimately, right? Is I want so there's a ton of poetry templates on the lab that you can, they're, they're just basic um, templates. And again, you change them out any way you want. Mm-hmm. How much does it cost to write a poem? For schools that have no money, it's, you know, or adult, even adults, the adults love it. Yeah. And I, we had a poetry camp where I was working with a six-year-old next to a 50-year-old and they were wow. writing the same poem and both of them, you know, absolutely loved it. Well, I think it's nice because it gives that, that templated structure, but it allows for so much creativity. Exactly. And it's like kind of the best of both worlds. Exactly. It's easy to teach because there's a template to follow, but it allows for such creative license. So I think it's, it's and, perfect. You know, it allows for repetition. So some of our kids, you know, uh, we yeah. had one little girl came in, oh, ooh, she was on the spectrum and just really stuck on being, you know, expecting prompts. 
Like she was so prompt dependent. It was crazy till we kicked mom out. Did I say mom? We asked mom, suggested mom that maybe she run to McDonald's and get us some milkshakes. So yeah, (laughs) we were writing about bugs because, you know, why not? Right. And any bug she liked, she would say, I like butterfly, butterfly, butterfly. I don't like roach. I like ladybug, ladybug. I don't like, you know, what spider. So she perseverated on the ones she liked. And then, you know, just really quickly said the ones she didn't like, but at the end it was a beautiful poem. Yeah. And it looked just like everybody else's. So you couldn't tell that she had autism. You couldn't tell she was using a device. It was a and it's a perfect example of, you know, I feel like sometimes as practitioners, we kind of want to jump in and be like, oh, we don't need to say it five times. We can say it five times. Mm-hmm. You know, it yeah. doesn't have to be you need to say it 500 times. Really. Exactly. And if it's if it's what you want to say, that's what you want to say. You know, so the tip I have for, for any kind of writing is pre-teach. Mm-hmm. So, you know, sit down with the kids and say, hey, we're going to be writing about bugs today. Let's look on your device where we can find these words. Yeah. So you pre-teach and let them play around where there's no right or wrong answer. Then they're comfortable. And then you can do the process. So maybe you write a poem together so they understand the process and then they can do their, theirs individually. But if you don't have that pre-teaching piece of it where they know what is expected of them, you know, and they're excited about what's expected of them, right. then, you know, you're not going to be as successful as if you give them all the tools they need. And that, that pre-planning piece, it's just a little bit of extra effort, but it makes such a big difference. I'm always telling teachers that, you know, you, if you just open the folder before you do the lesson and just show where the vocabulary is and, you know, how we could potentially talk about it, it takes a little bit of time and a little bit of extra effort, but it just really goes a long way. Yeah. yeah. And the other thing that I, I um, encourage people to do is a lot of times educational content is very noun-based. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And, you know, you kind of get stuck and we have to have all these nouns on these kids work, I mean, on the kids boards. <laughs> and it's like, if you only want to speak with nouns, you're not going to be able to have a conversation yeah. because right. most of what we say is not nouns. So, you know, we were supporting a classroom that was using unique learning systems, which is an amazing curriculum. Mm-hmm. And what we taught them to do, and we actually taught the classroom assistants to do this. And once I showed them once, they're like, oh, this is amazing. So they were doing like community helpers. And so the question was, you know, what does it, um, who helps in the classroom? So the answer would have been teacher, right? Which is a noun. And, you know, it's like, okay, but can we get a better language sample by saying, what does a teacher do? A teacher, you know, a teacher helps me learn. And so by just changing how we ask the question, you can still get to Mm -hmm. to the point where you understand where they understand the concept, right? Right. That's but you're not looking at so many nouns. So instead of saying like, what's up in the sky at night is the moon. You can say, tell me about the moon. It's round. It's yeah. dark. You know, that's, whatever you want to say. That's such a good point too, you know, cause how often is a child going to use the noun construction worker, right? <laughs> but make, I mean, think about how many contexts we can use. Exactly. So if we just shift the way that we're asking those so questions. Them words for heaven, words from heaven. So, you know, you need construction worker, like, you know, maybe that week. And yeah. then it away and they never say it again. So is that really where we want to put our focus? Before we leave, Jane, can you tell us where people can sign up for the Language Lab? So it's www.aaclanguagelab.com. And you okay. can create an account. And if you are supporting a student with um, a PRC device, you know, check in the box. You ask mom to check in the box for the code to get it for free. So, you know, if mom isn't, doesn't think she's going to use the language lab at home and it's more appropriate to use it at school, then she could share that code with you. But it still is only 1995 now. So 
And then we also have a social media group on Facebook for the AAC Language Lab. So it's a closed group. Um, I try to keep all the sunglass ads off of there and, you know, um, we constantly, people are putting questions up there um, or I'm putting all kinds of things that I think are useful for AAC up there. So it's a nice group to be part of. Well, um, once again, for talking with tech, this is Lucas Stuber with Rachel Madel and joined today uh, by Jane Odom. Thanks so much for, uh, for joining us. That was incredible. Um, those of you listening, uh, you can find anything that we talked about today from Realized Language to the Language Lab. We'll have that linked in the show notes, which you can find at tech.speechscience.org. And then we'll also um, post a link to the Facebook group and all that uh, within our own Facebook group, which is the Talking With Tech Facebook. So thanks once again. Talk to you all next time. Well, welcome back. I thought that was a, a really interesting conversation. Um, Jane had a lot of tips to share. Uh, you know, Rachel, I think you felt the same way. Yeah, absolutely. I just, I'm really excited. I think everyone's really going to love this. And I think it's going to be a really great resource for our listeners who might not know how to start implementing. Yeah, I think so too. And that's, you know, a big part of it is just, is just diving in, you know, to those of you out there that are trying to figure out where to start, you know, sometimes the best place to start is just to get started, right? I mean, that's still, um, <laughs> you know, going out there and seeking out these resources from, uh, you know, from places like the Language Lab. And of course, um, we also have some resources on, on our own page. If you go to aac.speechscience.org, um, you know, there's some, some free stuff there for you as well. And uh, of course, we'll always be here to, uh, to help out. So drop us a line. Let us know what you think. We'd love to hear your, your comments or feedback. Uh, if there's anyone that you'd like to have us uh, bring onto the show or anything you'd like us to talk about, uh, you can reach us at tech at speechscience.org or through Facebook. Um, also, you can go to tech.speechscience.org to see all the, the back episodes. You can also contact us there. And then if you could, please remember, go on to iTunes and give us a review. We have some, some you know, we're, we're so grateful to have the reviews um, that we have, but we definitely want, um, want people to go there. That'll help other people to find us, uh, for one thing. So folks that um, are needing to, to get this information, but it also provides us with valuable feedback to make sure that we're doing um, what's, you know, uh, important to you. So again, this is Lucas Stuber joined by Rachel Madel. We will talk to you next week. <laughs>